Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 208, Will I Ever See Those Kids Again? This week we're discussing season 4, episode 8 of Battlestar Galactica, Faith, and season 4, episode 6 of Angel, Spin the Bottle. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Alrighty. Uh, Faith. So I actually, <laughs> when I glanced real quick at the the episode names um, this week when, when I was watching them, I'm like, Faith, oh wait, does Faith come back in this one? And then I'm like, oh wait, no, no, that's the BSG episode. <laughs> I like think yeah, that I actually like, just as I was saying it had a little <laughs> moment of like deja vu of like I think we've had an episode yeah. of this before. <laughs> I'm yeah. like I don't I don't remember Faith coming back in season yeah. four of Angel, yeah. but maybe if I if I oh. misremembered. Um Faith on the Demetrius, that's the that's a crossover waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh as if things weren't um violent and trigger happy enough right. to just introduce Faith into that situation. Right. Um now someone quick go write a fan fiction. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, but no, it, it was I kind of laughed. I'm like, and I like I don't even think there's an episode called Faith and Angel. Anyway, like I don't think we've had one. At Faith, least. Hope, and Trick, right? Oh, you, right. That, that was name? I mean that was back the first episode in, that she was in. I yeah, think. what second season or third season of Buffy? Yeah, um, third, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was uh. A while ago but right like yeah. other than that like i don't think her name's in any episode titles but no um, no but i had that same moment i guess because we just have talked about her so much that it's hard now to see to say that name right. in the context of this podcast and not think about her sure um, um that said so yeah. um she is not in this episode of battlestar no. galactica um but you had some other notes or or production stuff that you wanted to go over real quick yeah um i think just the one um that the fact that uh there's a new writer um uh seamus kevin fahey very uh, is the most irish name i've ever heard (laughs) um (laughs) who um this is actually his only written episode of the show which um i'm surprised by looking that up just now because this is quite good I think um and it's kind of a shame but it maybe he was new it seems like um he was uh like an assistant to the writers and and a staff writer through seasons three and four so was in the writer's room I presume but not actually writing scripts apart from this one um he does um come on and write there's um some webisodes in season four which we will talk about mm-hmm. um he writes those with um jane espenson uh they they co-write them together oh, nice. so we'll talk about him uh there but this is the only like episode proper that he wrote um so yeah good way to get his writing career i mean this looks kind of looks like his first job like the first episode of television he wrote was this right was this like maybe one. he had written um, some other stuff before but it wasn't like television like maybe right or had like jobs like assistant to the writer but wasn't like a right like a credited writer himself assistant not to the writer, not, assistant not assistant writer, writer. he was assistant to yes. the writer <laughs> yeah yeah it's an important distinction 
Absolutely. Um, As, but, assistant um, to the producer. Yes. But it looks like he went on to be pretty successful. Like I'm looking at his other credits here. Um, a lot of things, writing and producing on um, Spartacus, the, the stars show, which, which I have yeah. heard good things about. Yeah. Haven't watched yet myself, but I plan to. Um, and then uh, which uh, American Gods, actually, too. He has, you know, an episode of that. And then like a bunch of other random things. So it looks like he's gone on to a pretty successful career. I'm trying to remember, doesn't Spartacus also have a Whedon connection? Um, Does it? I, I'm I'm trying to look it up now. I was hoping that my internet connection would be quicker, but mm. of course, Wikipedia took me to the historical figure and not the TV show <laughs> because that's what happens when you don't clarify what you're what you're Stupid looking. Stupid Wikipedia! Don't you know um, we want the pop culture, and the, the history, the, the stars series, right? Oh, the, it's it's Stephen tonight. It's Stephen tonight. Oh yes, yeah, that's right. Of course. Uh, he he's the, was the creator uh, he's the and, showrunner. and showrunner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, right. Very cool. Right. So a, a, a big Whedon connection there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I've had that uh, one of the many things in my Netflix queue that I plan to watch at some point that I've heard good things about. But, um, yeah, so, you know, good job. Seamus, Kevin Fahey. I want to switch the Kevin and the Seamus for some reason. Um, mm. So, yeah. And I, you know, we can talk about, you don't have to agree with me that this is a good episode, but I think it's very well written. So it's kind of a little bit of a shame that this is the only one he did. But um, I guess that's what happens when you're assistant to the writers rather than <laughs> an assistant writer. So you have to kind of pay your dues a little bit. Sure. Um, so yeah. Um, that's the only production note that I have, really. Okay. Um, no, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, it's, it's always a tough call with the, you know, to be continued episodes. Cause like, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, we were talking just right before, like so much of this episode is character stuff, which, which I do tend, generally tend to prefer over the yeah. you know straight up action plot driven whatever mm -hmm. not that like the plot driven stuff can't be good um mm -hmm. ideally you would have a good mix i think and and we can talk about that as well maybe as we get into some of the details but um yeah i mean if i like if if i had to pick like plot driven episode over you know or you know versus um character episode i, I would definitely do that and I think this is definitely a more character episode, although some clear, you know, plot heavy kind of stuff happens in a few spots, um, mostly with people getting hurt slash killed. <laughs> um, sure, but like, yeah. you know, otherwise it's like a lot of conversation and like, right. um, you know, revelations of character kind of right. things going on. Um, right. But the, even those resolutions, revelations are largely like internalized you know it's more about sure characters having personal revelation i mean there's some even i guess there's some revelations in terms of the mythology but as i'm thinking about it even those are ones that we already kind of knew about like the thing that to, we're not going to 
I don't want to jump ahead too much, but even what the hybrid says to Kara is words we've heard before in Razor. Mm. So it's more about, it's not new to us. It's new to them and the characters. So where they end up in at the end of the episode is kind of just confirming something we already knew. Um, and even over the course of the two episodes, largely the biggest plot move is the learning of that information and the forming of this alliance. So like, that's mostly what happens. So I do agree that most of the juicy stuff in here is about like characters having conversations with each other and making decisions about their actions and about themselves and how their attitudes to, towards things are shifting, which I do think is more, certainly more fun to talk about you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just, I, I find it personally more interesting than, oh, you know, the base star jumped out and everyone started firing missiles and there was 10 minutes of Viper action, you know, like, right, right. That, that's fun to watch, but it's not necessarily sure. as fun to dig into on a, in, in a podcasting right sort of format. Um, right. Exactly. Anyway, so and actually, let me let me bring this up too. You you mentioned like all the characters getting like hurt in this episode and all these things and something that, um, uh, I don't remember who pointed this out. It was either on like Twitter or Tumblr, like some discussion I was kind of following of this episode. And I guess just as like a broad point, we can get into the specific pairs and interactions and everything, but it's an interesting kind of visual thing that in this episode, the amount of conversations between characters that are either like sick or dying or wounded or whatever, who are talking to someone who's kind of like sitting over top of them. Like, so you have, you know, like all these people, like Rosalind's, her name's Emily, her, her friend in the hospital and you have Gaeta and you have the hybrid and you have the eight that gets, you know, shot and you have the six and all these characters like kind of lying on the floor and then having these conversations with someone kind of leaning over top of them. And it's just a really interesting kind of visual thing of mm -hmm. there's these separate kind of pairs of characters who aren't talking about the same things, but are all kind of connected through this shared experience of suffering and, and and these, you know, they're connected visually, if nothing else, which I think implies a kind of deeper connection between all of them too, so. Sure. It's just an interesting kind of little motif running through all the different storylines. Um, yeah. All right, so we should talk about, though, some of the actual storylines rather than just the motifs running through them. Um, we can talk about the motifs running through them as we talk about them, perhaps. Sure. Um, even. So um, I kind of wanted to split up. We um, It's not quite as clean as, like, some episodes where it's like, oh, you have the stuff over here, and then you have the stuff over here. Because um, mm -hmm. you do get, like, a contingent of people traveling from... The Demetrius to the base star but I feel like for the most part you have like the three settings right you have Demetrius base star and Galactica so just kind of maybe to take them in that order 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and we'll include like the Demetrius stuff that happens after the contingent leaves, like all sort of together with with that location, and then move on to the base star stuff. Because I feel like mm-hmm. like once they leave, like yes, there's a few things between like Hilo and Gata and and mm-hmm. whatever, and like Celix kind of you know whining at the end, but like um, you know there's not like like once they leave it's kind of like okay the the focus shifts so we can just kind of mop that up and and move on right right and there's no interaction like until the last minute they don't know what's going on on the base stars so there's no need to like jump back and forth because largely the point is that they are trying to decide if they should keep waiting and have no idea what's going on over there Mm -hmm. um so the fact that they're not interacting is largely the point right it's Um, like Oh no, we don't know what's happening. Ah. <laughs> yes. That's that's literally that's like that's, verbatim Hilo right there. That could be like this the episode summary, you know. <laughs> on the on the DVD. Yep. I, I'm pretty sure I heard a commentary there from uh, our assistant to the writer. Um anyway. Right, right. Uh yeah, so uh picks up right where we left off, right, from the previous episode of Mm-hmm. Uh, mutiny on the Demetrius. Um, and I mean, we get the kind of messy resolution of that. Like, the, you know, as, as always happens with mutinies, there's lots of shouting. They call for the Marines, you know, yada, yada, yada. Someone gets enough, someone else in a headlock. Um, Sam, uh, always kind of the wild card i guess here because you're never quite sure like is he gonna support i mean he does kind of always support starbuck in a way but like Mm -hmm. not necessarily always in the way you expect or think he might um right so in this case it ends up you know he supports her by shooting gata in the leg um so right yeah for that and that kind of like that (laughs) i love you get like everyone else is like Wait, what just happened? And Gata's like screaming, "What the frack?" <laughs> like, yeah, he's like, yeah. "I'm like calling Hello. Starbuck like, every name under the sun." Yeah, I'm yeah. here with the shot leg, somebody, and it and like it wasn't just like, well, yeah, it, it wasn't like you know, oh, you know, clean goes through the messy part. It's like broken bone, like shin right. bone poking through, right? Know, like like bone fracture, fracture, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, and. I like that that highlights Sam's, it's very clear that Sam is not a trained soldier in the way that everybody else is. Because what I like about that is kind of how um, shocked everybody is. Like even Starbuck is like, Sam, like for God's sake. Like even, even Starbuck, who is the one who's saying this is a life or death matter that you have to do what I'm telling you and everything. Even she is shocked by that. And that everybody agrees like that was an over, like for as serious as the mutiny is, that was an overreaction to the situation. Like, right. Like people had their guns out, but like it only takes the the kind of the knucklehead who doesn't really know what he's doing to actually like pull a trigger, and that's part of Gata's shock too. Is like the what the frack thing is like he didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Like maybe he thought there would be fighting, but wasn't expecting to have his leg yeah. severed in half. And um, and that was um, 
that sort of idea was part of the impetus for one one of our rejected titles um, for the episode, which is actually said by Fred in the Angel episode. But the nobody kill anybody, please. Like, like right, this is right. like, yeah. Like I agree with you. Like, th- there's definitely a standoff there, and and the threat. But yeah, it's like everyone else knows how quickly things can get really, really serious once they start shooting. But yeah, you've got, like like you said, like Sam's not the trained, you know, uh, uh, soldier. He's just, you know, a, a former athlete who, you know, took up arms in a resistance. And like, he's even said that himself before. Like, this isn't even any, this, this isn't like disparaging his character. This is right. the way he describes himself, right? Like, at right, times. Right. So like, right. um it's totally yeah it's totally the the undisciplined um and i guess the kind of real surprise is you don't have um gene right like sort of going along with him <laughs> like I, sure. I don't even actually i'm trying to remember like in that scene is she even there like in the command I don't know. What, whatever I, the, I don't remember seeing her no you know but maybe she just wasn't in the shots or maybe it was too quick and I didn't notice her. Right, right. But like, I, you kind of feel like, yeah, like maybe had she been there, it would have been even like more open fire kind of, you know, going right, on. Because sure. like, because that's what they did. It was like, like they were buddy buddy in the resistance on Caprica and like, you know, well, and then again on New Caprica and like, that's, that's how they did things is like they took the shots when they could and kind of got lucky and survived and, Mm -hmm. and kept on going. Um, Right. Right. Yeah. It's so it's like that. uh, It's like that Heinlein quote, like, I mean, not exactly like it, but like uh, that an armed society is a polite society, right? Like when everyone has kind of like guns, like you're maybe most people are going to be a little more hesitant to start pulling triggers because you never know who's going to be shooting back at you. But like, Right, you right. know, you get the one guy who just doesn't know what the stakes are, and right. that right. kind of throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing. Um, right, and doesn't know how to gauge the seriousness of. And again, not that it's not serious, but they know even the mutiny. You feel like there's a certain sense of how to go about this to right. to prevent bloodshed and to to do it in the cleanest well, and I always um and 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 most efficient and bloodless way possible and it's sam that just like takes that volume dial and notches it up to 10 and which kind of shocks starbuck in a way into rethinking her own like the fact that it escalates so quickly and so disproportionately suddenly she's like wait a minute maybe you're right maybe this is a a you know a needless waste of life and maybe I have another way of doing it, which she should have proposed half an hour ago, but it doesn't, it takes like, it takes the violence to clarify her thinking in a way. So, well, and I, I always thought, so I, I remember having this thought way back. Oh gosh. You know, 20 odd years ago when I first saw, you know, Crimson Tide in the theaters where, you know, the Denzel Washington Gene Hackman film where mm-hmm. you know like the fact that there's like rules about like mutiny <laughs> you know there's like there's like a, a a code you know in the in the military you know part of the military code on like how to like you know 
go about overtaking the ship. Right. You know what I mean? And it's right. like, not to say that there's not contention and stuff and, and that movie and this episode and, and everything that's been done in between and since and whatever, you know, has their own sort of take on it or whatever. But like, you do get that sense of like, there's like, yes, there's a mutiny and yes, there's some level of physical force, but it's Athena putting Starbuck in a headlock, not choking her, you know, not like, like right. Starbuck's still yelling and there's still like high tension and guns drawn. But, like, yeah, that there's this whole sort of, like, both written and unwritten, like, series of events and protocols that people are supposed to follow when undertaking a mutiny, you know, on a military ship. And, right. I mean, I yeah, like, like, it is kind of weird in one sense. It's like, why would you have that, like, written into the code? Like, what, what the official procedure is to, you know, relieve mm-hmm. someone of duty, so to speak. But... Mm-hmm. in the same token like yeah like you are and you know i mean this is a bigger ship than you know a submarine under you know the pacific ocean or whatever but you know it's it's still the same idea like you know if something goes wrong and like people start shooting and the you know ftl drive gets hit or or the controls for the ftl drive gets that's hit, a really good then, point that's a really good then point, there's yeah. then everyone's screwed mutineers and yep. you know whatever like so like there is this idea of like as as silly as it sounds that there's almost like a, a genteel code of mutineering mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. you know so that you it's not a slash and burn like like this isn't a thing where like we want to just kill everyone and I'm that I'm sure happens. And we've seen even right. in VSD and elsewhere, you know, people who do just want to blow ships up and, you know, cause right. havoc and chaos and confusion. But um, that's not like, like the point of a mutiny, especially one like this is we think you're leading us the wrong way and we want to get back home safely. Like, right. and right. just randomly shooting things and, you know, uh you know killing people doesn't that's not a safety that's not a that's not a way to get back safe anywhere that's just is you know putting everyone in danger including you know the people who are who are you know who who are trying to get back to to their home or to the fleet or whatever um, right. The whole point of this is to save lives. Right. Is to preserve. Yeah. So it, it the violence undercuts that. And I think that like if if you're going to mutineer mutiny with with honor and according to the rules, like, yeah, the fact that like Hilo and Gata are the commanders of that and like they're going to follow those rules. Right. But, you know, because these are characters we've seen that like have honor and duty. They're not like. They're not Starbuck who just will wail off and like punch her superior if she feels like it. Like sure. these are characters that obey codes both written and moral. Um right. and so and they it you do get the sense of if they had had control of things, they would have done it with efficiency and and little violence and all these things. And so it's that it's that wild card of of the person coming in who doesn't know this world and who kind of interrupts that. Um and and who aren't making the decision lightly. Like, this isn't like, ugh, I'm right. tired of Starbucks. Let's just go back. This is, you know, 
we're here. <laughs> we're at the end of our time, the end of our fuel. We're going to miss the opportunity to ever see the people we know and love again. You know, like, yeah, it's not like they're just like, you know, teenagers who don't want to wait around for a half hour. Like, right. you know, they've done everything they can. They've come to the end of their rope. And, and Hilo especially, like, has already been supporting Starbuck more than, like, anybody else, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Well, except yeah. maybe Sam. But, like, you know, has continued to follow that chain of command and rule of law, you know, to the point where, okay, now, now we need to do something different because whatever. And even that, like, there's an acceptance there of maybe I am doing the wrong thing. Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe this isn't the right thing, but that's for Adama to decide, not you. Like, you know, and that's, that's kind of where he's at is like, maybe I'll end up getting thrown in the brig again, you know, and, Right. Like that'll, right. if that happens, then so be it. But there's at least like enough conviction there that, you know, he's willing to take that chance. Um, right. Right. So, yeah. Um, right. So it's not the kind of like violent, um, disrespectful coup that I think Sam takes it to be. Right. Of like, she's in charge, you're disobeying orders, chaos has ensued. The only thing I can do is, you know, draw my gun and and force you to listen. Um, And so, I mean, some of that is his, his greenness as a soldier. And some of it also, I think is the, the, the percolating stress of his identity crisis too. Like he's not the only one who we've seen acting in uncharacteristic ways of Sam is generally a gentle person when he's not fighting. So like, like Tyrrell, I think he's going through, like all of them, he's going through this crisis of identity and and behaving in startling ways to himself and to others. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, he like with the whole circle thing, right? Like he's the first one to sort of get sick and tired of it and want to throw in the towel. Like he, he doesn't have an appetite for sort of the wanton, right. you know, killing and violence right, right. that others even have. But yeah, I agree. Like this is this is his version of a crisis of conscience, and maybe maybe so so maybe in addition to like I I don't for a second doubt that he one hundred percent is supporting Starbuck, and whatever decision she made, like I feel like he would have supported it. But also like that she was making the decision to like want to continue looking for earth and like mm-hmm. go, you know, work with Leo Ben, um, who isn't like Sam's favorite person, Cylon being in the yeah. world, obviously. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Yeah. But like, there's also an aspect of like exploring my newfound identity aspect to all of this too, like you said. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, totally, totally agree with that. Um, just so happens that that's what Starbuck decides. So it's like that much easier for him to kind of want to go along with that. Right. Right. It's like, Oh, I would have followed you anyway, but Hey, now I get to like stick my hands in goo and see what happens. And like talk Um, to some Cylons and see what they have to say. So there's an added benefit to him personally to going along with that. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to jump ahead there, but, um, since we spent 25 minutes on the first bullet, 
Um, oh, maybe you should just finish out the Demetrius stuff real quick. Um, yeah. I mean, so basically, I mean, okay, Gaeta gets shot. That sucks um, for him, certainly. Uh, and I mean, yeah. we like Gaeta, so, um, you know, we don't want to see him hurt. But um, the uh, upshot is that, like, there's, I mean, still kind of shouted conversation, but at least, like, now they kind of work out, like, a more peaceful resolution to yeah. what's going on. Like, like nobody that, else shoot. Stop this, the shooting. This is a perfect place for the that escalated quickly <laughs> let's, meme. Let's yell at each other what our plans are from here on out. Instead right. of shooting. Let's right. shoot words, not right. bullets. And so, um, so they do. I mean, Starbuck kind of like, I'll take Leoben. We'll go back to the you know, wherever he came from and try to find the base star. And then, um, you know, I'm going to take your wife with me and, you know, cause she's a Cylon and I need her. Um, and then right. Sam's like, well, I'll go to that. Um, yeah. And Hilo's like, fine, I'll wait here until we have only one drop of fuel left and then I'm leaving. Um, and of course, we all know that he's going to wait through that one drop of fuel as well, which he does at the end. But um, yeah. yeah, so I mean that. So they kind of do that, and Starbuck and Athena, Sam, uh, Jean, and Leoben uh, all kind of climb into a raptor and head off, right? And so, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean that's kind of. I mean that's kind of it. Like later, you get kind of like a heart-to-heart -heart between Hilo and Gaeta, who's, mm -hmm. I mean, Gaeta was already, like, like, he was punching in the numbers to, like, start the countdown to go back, right? Like, right. so right. he's already on board with, like, letting, you know, leaving Starbucks and stuff, and is trying to convince Hilo to, like, hey, remember when I got shot in the leg? Um, I don't want that to fall off. So, like, can we go back yeah. now? And he was like, "Dude, I'm not leaving." Like, yeah, now. sewage refinery ship, not the greatest for like yeah. a you know festering sure. wound. You know, right. like not not ideal. Um, yeah, and I don't know what you think. I I mean, part of it is that of like I don't want to lose my leg, so probably like like maybe soon please we could go um but i mean which f perfectly reasonable request um i also get a little bit too in the like don't let him take my leg of like if not if not outright death wish at least like there's a hint of the like no matter what don't take the leg you know, like, even if there are consequences of that decision, don't cut off the leg. You know, it doesn't outright go there. And that's not necessarily how Hilo takes it. That, like, he kind of takes it as, like, request. Like, can we go soon? Um, but I don't know. Like, just the kind of sense I have from the, the line readings and everything is, like, you know, these are things that he's thinking about and kind of communicating to Hilo of, like, I don't want the leg to be amputated sure um and yeah i mean i honestly hadn't even thought about the whole like 
sewage treatment plant aspect of it. Yeah, like little little tiny little possibility of infection there. Perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, right, right. And they're there for what, like fifteen hours or something. Like you know. Yeah. So it's not like it's like a half an hour. Um, right. And like apparently with not much medical supplies or talent, like. Oh, that's what maybe right. we should have brought. Someone who knows how to medicine. Um, right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So, anyway, like, that happens. And then, you know, there's stuff when they come back. But that's, for the most part, they're just, they just kind of, like, wait for the rest of the episode. Um, yeah. So, all right. So, um, they're off to see the base star. And uh, they get there. And they're sort of like, well, I mean, so there's a whole thing where, like, you know, again, like, again, do you know where you're going, Starbucks? Of course I know where I'm going. Oh, look, it's the comet that I had in my vision. <laughs> yada, yada, yada. Um, That's where we're going. Yeah. 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 Uh, which is, like, she's had all these visions, right? But, like, none of them actually have, like, led her to anywhere. It's only, mm -hmm. like, once she gets there, she's like, oh, this is my vision. Okay. Like, mm -hmm. this is what I was having a vision of. But, like, don't you think the visions would be more helpful if they were, like, maybe, like, further away or gave you, like, more direction rather than, like, oh, I stumbled upon this thing and, oh, this looks familiar. Like, I guess right. that that's kind of, like, okay, it gives you a signpost. But then, mm -hmm. like, where do you go from there? Like, it, it there's no directionality or, like you know, mm -hmm. guidance behind the visions. It's just like, oh, there was this thing I saw once and hey look, this is it, you know. Um Right, right. Yeah, yeah you know. no, that's that's true. I, mean, I guess the only thing it gives them is um a sense of significance that they are on the right path. Sure. And so when there are um opportunities presented on the base star, she can take it as again take it on faith a little bit that those are that those are significant or that they're not necessarily going to be traps because she's had her vision corresponds to what she's seeing in the situation and so like then if if the silence offer an alliance or if the hybrid says something mystical the it's easier to jump to the conclusion that those are those are the the guiding the guiding posts. Those are the things that are going to lead you to your next sure. thing. Yeah, I, rather I than guess I the don't... vision it rather than the vision itself containing instruction of some yeah. kind. But yeah, there is an element of like you only know you've done the right thing after you get there. Like it doesn't right. ever tell you what the right move is. It it's not until you get to it that you realize, oh, that must have been the right thing because it it checks out with what I saw right. before. Right. And there's a consistency in that, like with the whole Jupiter's eye thing and like, you know. Right. Um, sure. Other, other elements of her visions that she's had, like, right. Like it's always in like, like in the moment it's like, Oh, this is what they meant. That's okay. what that meant. Yeah. Right. Um, and never, yeah, not really anything like, Oh, this will help you get to, you know, from point A to point B or, Right, it's not like Cordy's vision, which contain, if not outright instructions, at least some sort of message of here's what you yeah. should 
here's where your goal should be. <laughs> There's a here's demon over on Eighth Street, forty nine twenty two, and you know right, it's right. got all of these things, and you're going to need an axe to kill it. And, yeah. Right. 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 It's not helpful in that way. It's. It's. Yeah. Um. All right. So. Uh. They get there, and and they're sort of like suggestion um i guess from like leo ben right who sort of like alludes to the fact that maybe there's not total agreement among the cylons um well i mean we know that there's like the two factions but even among like this particular faction of like the sixes eights and twos is leo ben a two i forget what number. he's a two yeah yeah um that maybe things aren't going as well as like they could be. Um, and so they get there and yeah, like you sort of like start seeing the inner sign. Like, like you get like, uh, uh, is Natalie, is that the six, right? Um, mm -hmm. Who's sort of in charge and like the sort of contention between her and Leoben a little bit, but then you get like, <laughs> like all the eights. Right. And, so I always, I I wonder here, like, are these the eights that um, Boomer, like, like, is this, are these the same eights who, like, Boomer right. saw way back when they, they flew a raptor with a right. nuclear bomb to that one base? Right, it's, it's the, we love you, Sharon. It's those, like, fawning yeah. eights that kind of Fawn. turn up in a crowd and kind of, like, right say like oh like you're such an inspiration we want to be like you yeah and like they always do this <laughs> um, right like right and then they say to like athena like that she's like the first one right like to like do the different thing and it's like wait did you forget about boomer <laughs> like mm -hmm. like didn't we already didn't we already talk about this like boomer is the first one to not vote with everyone and like sure. who who kind of went off on her own and so like like it's just kind of weird too. Like, like yeah. Like, is there? I w I didn't think of it quite in the like you said, like the fawning way necessarily. But like, are they kind of like being a bit disingenuous just even by coming mm -hmm. to Athena and kind of like trying to stroke her ego a little and right. um say we want to be like you and it's like we want to be like you, but like even that in and of itself is not being like her because the whole point is that she goes off and does her own thing. Right. Like it's right, like, right. we want to copy you. <laughs> we want right, to copy right. you, but copying you individuals just like, like you. you. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's like, it, uh, here's my daily money, money Python reference. Are you ready? Sure. Um, in life of Brian, when he's trying to get them to not follow him and he says, you're all individuals. And the one guy goes, I'm not, <laughs> that's what it makes me think of um sure so and this i think encompasses boomer and athena like how much of the eight sort of the classic eight personality if they share something between all of them is like about wanting to be accepted you know like if it's athena kind of wanting to be one of the humans or boomer wanting to be one of the humans and kind of getting rejected and so being the best Cylon she can be. And now here's these eights kind of saying, yes, we want to be individuals just like you, but please tell us how to do that. Um, it's like, they're not, I feel like the sixes are more 
independent in that way of like they make a decision and they go for it and they are leaders whereas like the eights are kind of followers like they're kind of looking for somebody to love them and accept them and tell them what to do in a way and it's and it's interesting too because like i feel like like the ones who aren't boomer and athena basically i mean are the ones who were kind of forced like they were commanded right like or you know boomer was like programmed to right you know be in the colonial army and then like it's through that experience that she kind of gets her own individual individuality athena is kind of same way like she was like given this mission to go attach herself to Hilo, and mm -hmm. in doing that like she kind of learns this sort of independence mm -hmm. by not being around the other eights and the other cylons even and like so it's like it's like that sort of being forced to be cut off from like the rest of them that they learn to be that independent self that then when they like come back is like maybe a starker you know right, distinction right. between them and the the rest of the eights who have always just sort of been together maybe like either clicking together or just like following the other Cylons, like whatever group they happen to be following at that time. Right. Right. Like, right. Um, yeah. so. Right. It's not till they're forced into a position of individuality and having to make their own decisions independently that they gain that kind of independent thought. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's what it seems like anyway. I, I feel like there's an argument there. Right. And you do see them more often in a group. More so than any of the others, I think. Um, sure. Like, like even, I mean, some of them, you might the see, like, pairs of them or whatever. But, like, right. you very often it's it's this pack of eights. <laughs> it's like a click. Like, it's yeah. like, the, you know. Yeah, um, I was going to say, even, like, the six is, yeah. like, even when you see, like, a couple of them together, it's like they come together to, like, strategize, and then they kind of go off and do their own thing. Like, they're mm -hmm. not, yeah, they're not as... Yeah, clicky and and groupy. That's right. not the right group, word, but group thinky. Yeah, yeah. Um, as the eight seem to be. Uh, right, right. Speaking of, so yeah, it's kind of and it's a kind of nice inversion of that scene with Boomer and the crowd of them, where Athena kind of just tells them where to go and leaves. You know, like that sure. she's rejected that she's moved, whereas Boomer was disturbed by them. Athena's well, just like, sure, and I mean, obviously, I mean, and she knows what she is, and yeah, yeah, right, right. Athena like never had that programming that Boomer had, where she didn't right, right. know about her, you know, Cylonness and whatever. Um, right. But yeah, so speaking of sixes, we get um, one who sort of has like PTSD or something. Um, yeah. Who was the parent? I don't. I mean, I don't. Is this something that we would have seen? Um, I don't think I, so. I think they're just referencing some fight. Some, or something where they, yeah. Well, I wonder, because, like, the way she describes it, um, uh, which I'm going to have to, like, steal from your notes because I didn't write this down. Oh, and um, I don't think I wrote down, like, the story that she tells. Oh, because it sounded to me like it was a situation where, like, Jean finds out... Um, that this that that this woman that she knows already is a Cylon mm -hmm. and kills her, 
Like it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound to me like it was like a raid or a fight, like a battle, right? Mm-hmm. Like just a random like. Like it felt more personal than that. Like mm-hmm. you know, um, other of the sixes who like the sixes seem to have been more integrated into parts. Of, I mean, I know we've seen Doral and Leoben and 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 well, actually, I guess actually no. First time we see Leoben is. We kind of know that he's a Cylon, right? Um, but uh, Cavils, like, you know, as priests or whatever. Right, um, right. Like, the Sixes, though, seem like even more, like, we've seen more of them in different parts of society. So it feels more right. like that, like it's a Shelly or something like that, where, right. you know, she's maybe been working alongside with whatever Jean was doing at that time, and, like she finds out or something that and then kills her. But I, I maybe I could be wrong. That's sort of the Right. Or I mean, if it was on New Caprica, I guess Jean would know that she was a Cylon, but definitely if I'm remembering the Oh, conversation, is it is right? it New Caprica? Oh okay. I think it's New Caprica. But I think it's a good point where I think the the part of the Six's trauma is this idea of like we were supposed to be working together. We were supposed to be helping them. So like, I definitely think there is that sense of maybe they had work assignments where like in the occupation, Jean was supposed to be, this was her job. And, and this six was maybe assigned to work alongside her and, and it came to blows. Um, But like, there is that sense of betrayal of like, right. we, we were trying to work with you to, to make the, the right. planet better and your society it's, better. And you couldn't see past that and betrayed that, that right. altruistic motive that I had. It's, it's more than just that, like there was a battle or that like Jean, like sniped right. at her from like a distance or something like that. Like it, it, right. it definitely seems more personal and, and up close. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of what she couldn't, the six couldn't get over. Um, right. And then from Jean's point of view, I think this was in one of Jacob Clifton's essays. He kind of pointed out like the way, so like the six is taking that very personally, but the way that Jean talks reflects her, um, you know, being a professional athlete, like the way she says, uh, happy to put you down again. Like that's like talking trash on the ball field, you know, like, like, does she even mean it in a threatening kind of way of like, you know, try something and I'll kill you again? Or does she kind of mean it in a like competitive, like, like, and now that he's, when I watched it again, like I can see kind of what he means by that of like, she says it in a kind of almost flippant kind of way. Like you would talk smack to somebody on an opposing team rather than, your mortal enemy like she's not necessarily approaching it in the sense that the six is approaching it um yeah not that she doesn't mean it like obviously Jean has been a resistance member for a long time not that she's not serious about what she'll do but she seems to be saying it in a more playful kind of um kind of way um which is not at all how the six reacts who then like smashes her head into the raptor and kills her. (laughs) Sure. So yeah. And, and reinforcing this perpetuating cycle of 
you know, it's, it's the six saying, Natalie saying, why did you do that? The six says, I can't let it go. And then Kara is saying to Sam, let it go. And Sam saying, I can't, that's my friend. Like mm. it, this is the problem is that this is like a microcosm of the, the Cylon human conflict is it's just this eye for an eye. You took one of mine, so I'll take one of you. So you take one of mine attitude that then keeps on rolling along. Yeah. Well, and so, and then you get like the snide comment from Natalie, right? Of the, you know, oh, is that enough like human justice for you? But it's like, I mean, Cylons haven't exactly been like, right? You know, the Cylons the, are just the as fair, guilty of that. fair and even yeah. handed, like. <laughs> Um, and I mean, say what you will, like, oh, we learned it from the humans. Okay. Like maybe, but that doesn't make it better. Like, right. Right. So yeah. Um, right. Right. Yeah. They don't recognize the way in which they're guilty of the same thing that is being that they're participants in the cycle. It's only a cycle if both sides participate. Right. Um, Uh, but yeah, so, um, they get through that stuff. And so, I mean, so the six who kills Jean is executed on the spot and, um, Natalie sort of points out like there's no resurrection ship. So, uh, she's just as dead as you or something like that. Right. Like it's the. Uh, or just as dead as your friend, not as you, because that would be silly, because mm -hmm. the person she'd be talking to would be dead. Um, but, uh, yeah, so then from there, they, they're like, okay, well, let's go do what we came here to do, <laughs> like, which is, um, you know, to, to kind of create this truce and go back. But in order to do that, um, they need to talk to the hybrid. Uh, so, um, I'm trying to remember, like, because I'm, I'm kind of trying to remember exactly how they go from there to there. But I guess it doesn't matter. The, the upshot is they go to the hybrid, and um, lots of very clear and precise language that we usually get from the hybrid um, that has absolutely no yes. metaphor or symbology in it whatsoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. very precise, uh, the yeah, hybrid's yeah. best at language. Um, but, uh, nobody's better. <laughs> um, yeah, I yeah mean, there's some good, there's some good one-liners in there of like, you could probably, like, I didn't do this, but if you really tried to like parse it out, you could probably get a good like essay or something out of some of these lines, you know, of contact is inevitable leading to information bleed. Mm. Like, that's that's a that's a what does this mean moment. That's a mashed potato moment of like there's something here, but you'd have to really sit down and you know dissect it to get into the the symbolism behind that. Um, but it just kind of comes out as gibberish, techno babble. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I so it's always hard when you're talking about that hybrid, right? Because like, there's the 
I mean, there's moments in there of what seem like they make sense. And um, like the whole part about, yeah, the dying leader will know the truth of the opera house. Like, oh, that's clearly Roslyn. And we've seen like the dreams in the opera house and stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the missing three will give you the five who come from the home of the 13th. And it's like, okay, well, we know like three um that's deanna right like mm-hmm. and the five obviously the penultimate or the not the penultimate that's the penultimate four the final <laughs> five um and the 13th is obviously the 13th so like there you know there's these things that you can figure out and then mm-hmm. um even like the point of like talking directly and calling kara by her name um mm-hmm is is sort of intriguing and um whatever but yeah like i mean again like starbuck doesn't necessarily know any of this so it's you know still sounding gibberish to her um and all of that but yeah i mean the you know the upshot is they i guess they have to shut down the hybrid basically kill her in order to do whatever it is they need to do right and so um, or unplug her i don't know that it kills her well, entirely or at least like shut her down i guess like yeah, what, right, whatever right. the equivalent i mean right like i mean they'll i guess if she can boot up again then whatever but like it's i mean part of, it, it seems like that thing of where like i mean there's like it's like the the weird combination between like the physical and the mental you know, of the ships, of the Cylon ships, right? Like, there's that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same thing with, like, the Raiders and stuff. Like, there's a strong biological component, but also a strong mechanical component mm-hmm. to the ships. And so this is the same thing. Like, it's, the ship is damaged, and that kind of, even though, like, the hybrid is never really, like, makes sense to us, like, like, it, there's a sense where, like, you, the it's more the gibberish is like more broken and like nonsensical or something, I guess, than normal. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. Um, even though it does actually make more sense to us in particular as watchers than, um, right. You know, maybe it usually does anyway. Um, right. In a way she's broken, but also makes the most sense here. Like right. the, 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 the symbolism is the most, intelligible and that you can actually pinpoint the underlying message that's being conveyed um Um, and the and the characters get it too i mean pretty quickly they put together what the three and the five and the 13 are so sure um right it's not like they can't figure it out upon reflection at all um Mm -hmm. But yeah, um, so they figure it out, and and they, you know, get together and return to the Demetrius, um, much to Celix, uh, Celix's dismay, because she's like, all right, let's just go, right? Like, let's just leave right. and go back. Right. And then we've, we've been ready to go. Yeah, Kilo does the. Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Oh, but I can't, you know, and then like, <laughs> oh, it's a good thing I didn't leave when I said I was going to leave. Um, 
and of course they they come back and everything's hunky dory except for Gata, whose leg is still shot. Um, right. And you know, Jean, who's still dead. Uh, yes. No, they they come back not without successful in in at least some of their mission, but not without some casualties. So it it was a costly mission. Um, yeah, and they're kind of running on fumes, but at least they're together, and yeah, it ends with them sort of on their way back to Galactica. Um, speaking of Galactica, uh, so this is, I mean, the Galactica stuff is definitely the, you know, Roslin focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that there's much to say about her conversation with Tori, other than that, like, there's a sense in which Rosalind has noticed, um, you know, that, like, maybe she was going through some hard times recently. <laughs> like, um, right. Right. And that she's out of that phase, that she's back to her sure. old, efficient self. Um, um, but this is, but that, like, that, that phrase, that phase she was in of being frazzled and not sleeping and snapping at reporters and all that that's over like Tori is now hyper competent once again sure um but there's also like like we know that there's sort of a deviousness to that because like like we were seeing the sort of sidelong glances that she was giving to Roslyn right about when Roslyn was like trying to push through the Baltar laws right like Tori wasn't very appreciative of that because she's kind of part of the harem now in a way, right? Like Mm -hmm. she's, you know, part of Baltar's crew. And, and so while I do agree, like that Tori seems to be more in control here with Rosalind, I have to wonder like how much of it is sort of her, putting on more of a mask at this point than mm-hmm. um and being a little more devious which mm-hmm. she's i feel like being with everyone right like i mean that was mm-hmm. that's kind of the thing with callie too is like that she totally kind of lured her in and then you know right. uh killed her <laughs> and you know right uh, right and with tyrell now has kind of him convinced that like not convinced of what happened, but has deflected the suspicion off of herself. Mm. Um, so right, so yeah, and that that crisis of identity mm. we're talking about with Sam and Tyrrell, and even Ty to some extent, isn't really happening with Tori. Like the crisis of identity kind of happened right before the revelation, and then when she finds out she is a Cylon that kind of resolves that like that period of mm-hmm. not knowing herself was kind of the lead up to that. And it, in a sense, when she finds out she's a Cylon, suddenly everything clicks and she is the most self-assured of who she is and what she's doing. Yeah. Um, for, I mean, for that's not necessarily a good thing because she's like killed somebody um, but it, she's not conflicted about it. It doesn't seem right. like, for better or worse, she knows she's, who she is. She's, she's not angsting about it. Yeah, she's very centered. 
Um, but yeah, like you said, it doesn't mean it's she does good things, <laughs> right? Um, because right. of that, uh, yeah, yeah, um, right. But there's so there is a sense though that Rosalind is falling for that as much as anybody that like she's overwhelmed, she's getting sicker, she appreciates Tori's competence and efficiency and everything. So Tori's giving her exactly what she wants. Mm-hmm. In, in this moment. Um, so moving on. So yeah, so Rosalind, like the whole, the whole thing being that like Rosalind's preparing for her next cancer treatment. And so um, when we next see her, that's where she is in the sick bay. Um, and she hears like a radio with Baltar's voice going uh, on one of his speeches um, and goes to investigate and it turns out, out to be sort of a ornery but you know ultimately uh uh kind-hearted you know uh you know uh, uh, uh i you know kindred spirit kind of <laughs> person mm-hmm. i guess uh named emily um who you know, likes what Baltar is saying, even if she doesn't agree with everything he says. I feel like that's kind of like a lot of Trump supporters. <laughs> and maybe maybe, maybe even like political and to some degree religious supporters too. Because I feel like, you, so um, just this week, uh, you know, you had like the whole thing with like, uh joel Osteen or Osteen, however uh-huh. you say it like with the yeah. the um hurricane right, you know like not opening up his like sixteen thousand seat church or right right or not yeah. not making his you know huge mega church available to refugees from the storm and then like now apparently he's going back on that and saying no no i i was going to do it all along and it's like oh yeah you mean after like millions of people said you're an idiot for not doing it um, but no, but I mean, you know, the fact is he does have a large following. And so I, I guarantee like there's people out there who are like, well, maybe I don't like everything he did, but overall he's a nice guy or, you know, like, or mm-hmm. like, I agree with the, this part and that part. And anyway, but this is kind of the Emily, right? Like she, she's, you know, maybe the, the populace who, you know, Baltar is becoming more popular and maybe, you know, maybe, yeah, you can, you know, disagree with, like, specific things he says here. Like, well, I may, maybe I wish he didn't talk so much about, you know, how bad you are, because you seem like a nice person. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I I like the stuff that he says about the Cylon God <laughs> and, like, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that um, attitude. Um, and starts, you know, I I don't know that we need to get into, like, the different, like, theological or whatever discussions that they have but like just Mm -hmm. kind of this idea that like now you have Roslyn as sort of a captive audience like hearing what Baltar means to just sort of like someone who's not even I almost was thinking like you know to like an average person but it's not an average person right it's it's like that's not why Roslyn sort of listens to her it's because it's someone like her who's going through the same Mm -hmm. thing as her with the cancer treatments and who's experiencing what Rosalind expects herself to be experiencing very shortly in, in the final stages of her, you know, disease. And so, um, mm-hmm. 
I feel like it's that connection to her own situation more than anything else. Like, right. you know, if Tori had opened up to Roslyn, as much as like mm-hmm. Roslyn maybe appreciates Tori, but if, if she had opened up to Roslyn, like it would be something that Roslyn would have no basis for sort of understanding what Tori might or might not see in Baltar, right? Um, right. Very similar to maybe the Thai reaction of <laughs> we're not going to talk about Gaius Frack and Baltar, right? Like, like there, you know, there's totally it, it, there's generational, there's you know, probably uh, uh, other you know differences you know between Tori's experience and. Roslyn's experience, you know, based on where they lived and grew up and their, you know, who their parents were and this and that. And so there's not, but like with this, you know, here now you have a woman who's seems to be maybe about a similar age and who Mm -hmm. is also going through cancer treatments and also sort of wrestling with the same, you know, thoughts and fears about her own mortality and remembering people who she used to know who have gone on before her and like, you know, all of these things that um, Rosalind sort of has, has said or thought, you know, on her own. And so um, maybe becomes a little more open to it, Um, which I feel like, like, I feel like that's very, not that I think Rosalind has like a conversion experience, but certainly Mm -hmm. like becomes more open by the end of the episode to, what Baltar is saying, even to the point that, like, she tells Adama that there might be something to this Baltar mm. stuff, right? Like, like again, you know, almost taking on this, well, I don't agree with everything he says, but maybe there's right. a little something right. here or there. Maybe there's some truth mixed in all the BS, yeah. Um, yeah, and not necessarily giving Baltar credit for it, for having these ideas, but saying kind of, oh, maybe he stumbled onto it. Like, right. It could be something he, again, the hand of God, he could be the instrument of something that is utilizing him for a purpose. He might be saying something that has truth in it, even if he's too much of a corrupt idiot to really like be the source of that truth. Or, or, you know, Baltar talks a lot and just by sheer like probability, Something he right. says has got to be true. <laughs> like, right. like right. with the amount of words that actually come out of his mouth, not everything right. can be false. Um, right. Like, right. like the right. you know monkeys typing. You know, one of them is at some point going to write Shakespeare, right? Like, well, <laughs> that's a great connection because he quotes Shakespeare, right? In this sure. So he, so he quotes Hamlet, and that's, so the, that's the cliche. Is the it's like he's he the monkey. That. He's the monkey who like typed so many words that he eventually typed out Hamlet. So, right. Yeah. That's funny. Um, um, yeah, but no, I, yeah. I, and I, I, I think you're right. Like, I feel like there is that component of it of like, maybe, maybe it's not even that like, Oh, Baltar is even like necessarily knows what he's saying. It's more like, Oh, maybe he just sort of happened to come across this idea that, that seems like when you think about it could be, accurate Mm. and you know maybe there's a lot of fluff there but but a kernel you know deep inside is is maybe at least partially Mm -hmm. true or whatever um Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right, and and Emily's line about if he's the one God, he belongs to all of us. That like, if there's truth in this in this God or in in this religion or this mysticism, it's true even if you don't like Baltar. Like the truth has nothing to do with anybody's liking of him or not. That it could be true independently of of him. Yeah. And it's not like you don't have to endorse Baltar necessarily to find some truth in what he's spouting. But even that, like you compared him to Trump, there's something for me that's uncomfortably like the people that kind of will say like, well, you know, he's not necessarily a good person, but but God will use anybody towards good. So it's okay if he's empowered right. because he's, again, the hand of God. He's the instrument of God. And it's not about his morality. It's about the fact that God put him there. And that's kind of the position Baltar is in of like, even for all of his history of corruption and weakness, he's being put in these positions of power and people are willing to look past that because of, what they see as a, a higher divine purpose that is using him. Um, sure. So that's a kind of, you know, yeah. an, an attitude that you some people might feel inclined to take. That's one that I don't always agree with in real life, <laughs> but certainly I could see there being sure. Baltar supporters like Emily who say, well, I appreciate the message that's being given through him, even if I don't approve of him personally. Right. Um, yeah. No, I, yeah. I've, and for, and for Rosalind to be at all open to that by the end of the episode is a big step because she's so anti Baltar, you know, that that's like a huge, even just that minute change is, is huge for Rosalind. I think. Yeah. No, I, I've definitely known people like that. Um, you know, Trump or, or otherwise, like, Oh, you know, maybe, maybe I don't, you know, maybe I don't think Trump should like tweet as much as he does and say some of the stupid things he does. But like, I think he's, you know, right on immigration or on this or that. And it's like, yeah, but do you actually know what he's like doing? Like, and not even like, because I'm appalled by it. It's just because like, I don't actually know if he knows what he's doing like right. like it's not even like a matter of like i disagree with him it's just i don't think he necessarily knows what he right what his own policy is from day to day so you know. right and that's very bold heart. right that's very right time. exactly and so like like there is yeah there's an aspect of that that is is interesting because you want like on the one hand you want to say like okay well so maybe you are taking a more measured and moderate approach to this and, and being more judicious than, you know, maybe the sort of doe-eyed followers in the harem. But, like, at the same time, like, it all depends on which parts of what Baltar is saying you agree with that that kind of makes you, you know... Like, is your judgment good or bad? <laughs> you know, like, like you can be more judicious, but that doesn't necessarily result in, like, a, a, a good thing that is happening. Right. Um, right. In the long run. Anyway. So, I, I mean, I think, I think ultimately, though, like, I mean, 
not that she's perfect or anything, but I think, you know, Emily is sort of presented as a, as a, um, you know, favorable or, or, or likable person, you know, mm -hmm. um, in part because of that, I think, you know, uh, relatability that Rosalind has with her is because, you know, mm -hmm. Rosalind also is problematic at times, but like we generally like her and think, you know, mm -hmm. even, it, even when she's maybe pushing through uh, legislation that, you know, is not up to civil liberty standards that maybe we at least trust that her motivations are pure, even if like the thing she's doing is questionable. <laughs> um, and, and even though it takes a lot sometimes, I think we see that she isn't entirely close minded that like, sure. We get, we get a sense in this episode of like, given the right, given and circumstances that allow her to, be a little less defensive and listen to somebody even on Baltar, who's the one point where she's consistently adamantly against even there, she can be changed and have her mind opened a little bit and changed somewhat. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not we always agree with the changes, like just the fact that she can change her mind, that she's not um, sure. She's not, she's not yet totally closed to other people influencing her and everything. Um, so yeah, the fact that she's able to soften a little bit on anything is kind of, I think, a good, a good point in her favor. Um, and I think with the, with that relatability of Emily, you get more honesty from her about her own doubts and everything that like, we're used to seeing her as the kind of religious crusader of she has these visions and you know the gods are she's the the dying leader that the gods are leading to their paradise and everything but here you kind of get her fears of of death and annihilation you know of projecting her the, of that onto her mother that you know when she was dying she she didn't have faith she only saw darkness and emily kind of pointing out like well you don't you don't know that maybe who are we really talking about here? Mm -hmm. um, and in a way that's more honesty than from Rosalind than we've seen in a while. Rosalind, who's very ironclad and certain about her beliefs. She opens up a little more to Emily about those, those doubts and those fears. Yeah. Um. And I mean, just to point out, and this continues with the escalation of like the physical, her appearance, you know, that like sure. a couple episodes ago, the clump of hair falls out. And then a couple episodes ago, um, she has a wig on. So we don't see the baldness, but we just see that the hair is different. And she mentions, I have a wig on. And now here for the first time, like you see the like totally bald head and the, and the scarf covering it. So right. this kind of easing her and the audience into this physical degeneration kind of yeah um yep um yeah all right well we've gone a little over uh 
any other final thoughts? Um, we've got. I mean, the, yeah, the only other final scene is the Rosalind and Adama one. I'm not sure if there's a whole lot to talk about there. It kind of sure. just reiterates what we were saying of her her uh, mention of, well, maybe it's not impossible that Baltar might say something that has some truth in it. Um, so she allows sure. for that possibility. With um, a lot of caveats. With a lot of caveats, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, to get to the line where we took our title from of, will I see those kids again? So, I mean, you mentioned that's not the greatest line reading from Edward James almost ever, which I think is a, is probably true um <laughs> but you know there is this there is this reminder there of the parent child theme mm -hmm. um that that he's the old man and they're the kids um you with the added kind of tension of like okay we know they're headed back to galactica but they're not there yet so there's still that sense of will i ever see them again like that sense of danger is still not totally gone away. Like until they're back, they're not really back. Sure. Yeah. Um, but if you don't see them die on screen, then they're still alive. That's the rule. Um, yeah. Yeah. And not that I'm, I mean, I think we know and everybody knows it's not like they're going to like, all get wiped out in the next like before they get back to Galactica or anything but like just that sense of until they're back anything is kind of possible I guess mm -hmm. and um yeah just no he has empty nest that was the thought that occurred to me is like Adama sent all his kids off to college and is like worried about them right right <laughs> <laughs> Um, Meanwhile, they're all shooting each other and having, having right. a, yeah. When a not when they so get great experience when they get back, there's a lot of stuff to be sorted through, perhaps. Um, right, he has to kind of break them up a little bit. All right. Well, we'll talk about that next week. For now, we should talk about the uh, Angel episode. And I so um, interesting. So I, I want to start with a few production notes and. And I know we want to talk a little about the story narration and, and format a little. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, first of all, a Whedon episode uh, written and directed by him. Um, different from sort of a lot of the Whedon episodes in that, um, except maybe like right at the end, there's no real like arc significance here. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is totally a sort of lighter sort of episode of the week, situation of the week. Um, not really monster of the week because like mm -hmm. there isn't really any monsters other than like themselves. Um, right. Like, I mean, yeah, like right. it yeah. all like the entire except for like Angel's brief outdoor, you know, excursion to the road and back. And then, like, there's some Connor stuff outside. Like, everything happens right in the hotel. Like, um, 
Although not exactly a cat, like I wouldn't call this a cabin episode either, though. Really, mm. um, I guess. Well, yeah, and there's no, there is no external threat. Right. It's all, all of the, all of the danger is interpersonal. Right. Um. So yeah. Anyway. Um. So that's a little different, and not that like Whedon hasn't written the episodes of the week or or one off things before. But the fact that, like, this is his only episode in this season of Angel sort of makes mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, significant, I think. Um, yeah. Because you're not getting. So um, there's a commentary on this one. Um, they do give uh, spoilers for, in particular, the next episode, but also later in the season. So um, I didn't tell you to listen to it, but... Um, one yeah. thing that he does say is that kind of the impetus for this was um, pretty basic, actually. He just wanted to see Wesley, in particular, return to his sort of old bumbling moron phase, hmm. he calls it. Um, and which is fine. Like, I mean, I think there's some fun stuff they do with sort of the physical humor and the situational stuff. Like, but <laughs> I mean, probably mm-hmm. my favorite scene in this is where he like lifts up his pant legs and is like walking around, you know, like trying, looking for other like hidden weapons or, you know, whatever contraptions. Um, Right. And that, in that bit where he's not the first moment when it pops out and surprises him, but when he's waving his arms around trying to get it to stop and more weapons keep coming out (laughs) and, and it, it it swings in other ways. And like, yeah, the physical comedy Um, of that was, was pretty good. And there's definitely a lot of that. Um, you know, definitely, like, with the reversion of, like, Cordy to kind of her teenage, you know, quippy, more more quippy self, um, more more meanly quippy self. Because mm. <laughs> um, I feel like, I mean, she's still quippy in certain ways, but, like, not, like, right. it, it's, you know, there's definitely that sort of edginess to it um, that she brings back. So I feel like there's, there's definitely a lot here from like a writing perspective and sort of a, you know, some good one-liners and zingers, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, Whedon is good at, um, mm-hmm. that we get, I, you know, I'll be honest. I don't know. I enjoy this episode. I don't, I, I like it. Like, I don't want to imply that I don't. Yeah. I do sort of wonder, and you tell me what you think too, but I do sort of wonder like, how much it really like moves things forward other other mm-hmm. than you know okay they do the spell and by the end of it cordy remembers everything which is the point right. um right. but there is um some obvious um and intentionally obvious um similarities here to tabula rasa from Buffy. absolutely yeah. um yeah also to band candy so kind of like if you think about the situation you know, it's basically mm-hmm. right. It's, it's kind like, of tabula rasa plus band. Right, like like there's this the scenario, there's yeah. this spell, and I mean they do a few little minor things. So like, oh, it's not you know Willow doing something, you know, and it going wrong. It's you know they're sort of doing this intentional thing, and you know it's almost like taking drugs, and then you know whatever. But like like there's this whole you know. They forget a lot of stuff, but the reason they forget it is because they've all reverted. So, um, you know, to like, I, Fred mentions 17, although like, I, I don't think it's supposed to be 
entirely clear exactly how old they all are sort of mentally in this um but mm -hmm. sort of those high school years you know um yeah including angel who you know reverts to his liam form although without i, I love like Minus i love i love that he like doesn't a, have the accent there's some like, there's some shade on uh david Boreanaz's yeah. irish accent um <laughs> which is kind of funny but um apparently like how about how about we just leave that out yeah yeah um and apparently they had a lot of fun making this episode in fact um, yeah. so it's, uh, Whedon and, um, Alexis Denisoff do the commentary and, and they both mm -hmm. talk about like all the different, like scenes that they had to do over and over again, because they just were like laughing and giggling like the whole time. And, um, like, mm -hmm. like where, um, Fred is sort of like poking at Lauren and like, just like, you know, the two of them, Amy Acker and, and, um, uh, uh, oh gosh. Uh, Andy Hallett uh, just sort of like laughing like all the time like you know through that whole thing and like trying you know having to do take after take and that sort of thing um, you know so it sounds like it's a fun episode to watch it's a it's sounded like it was a fun episode to make and write and all of that um, but yeah I don't know like from a character perspective what what are your thoughts like do you do you see a lot in here? Do you like what, what's your sort of thoughts? And I don't, I don't mean to say this like that we shouldn't talk through anything. Cause I, I know we sure. were planning to go through sort of character by character, or at least talk about some of the interactions and stuff, but, but just from an overall sense, like what's your thought on the episode? Um, now, yeah, now that no. I totally like set you up and like tainted maybe your reply. <laughs> I know now I'm going to sound like the sycophant of like, Oh, everything you said, but like, yeah, I mean, uh, I I had the same uh, thought about the similarity to Tabula Rasa, and that was our reaction to that episode, as I remember it was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is a ton of fun to watch, but like, um, is it as fun to analyze? For two reasons. One, I think pure comedy is harder to analyze because it's like, what are you going to do? Explain why the jokes are funny. Like, you know, when, when that's, when the point is humor, that's less fun to really, maybe more fun to watch in some ways, but it's less fun to really like dissect. Um, and then the other point of it, like you said, being the fact that they're not really themselves. So the character or their current selves. So the character development aspect of it is taken away of like mm -hmm. kind of by definition, they're not developing here, they're regressing. And so you can't advance the plot because it's not them learning things and, and moving forward. Um, so it kind of necessarily becomes a, like a bit of a stalling act. Mm -hmm. um, not that that doesn't mean it's worth doing, but in terms of the plot movement, it's not advancing anything really. Um, I don't know if it has one difference from Tabula Rasa there. I guess the fact that they are still themselves is the point that like you can at least see uh, the compare contrast with who they were as teenagers versus who they are now. Mm -hmm. um, and that's some of what I want to talk about is kind of doing that is, okay, some of them we knew when they were this age and some of them we, we didn't. Yeah. So going back to um, 
how were they then versus how they are now and kind of what does that tell us about how they've changed? Sure. That's different than tabula rasa where there the the idea was more when you're taking away all of your memories it's about who is your who, who what identity do you construct for yourself based on without experiences just your own instinct combined with any external data you can compile so if my jacket says like randy that's like your name you know um <laughs> you know but like that doesn't tell us anything about spike other than like that he's found some information that think he might apply to him or whatever mm. um Whereas like here, like, yeah, if you talk about what was Wesley like at, in the Watchers Academy versus how different he is now, you can actually like see some continuity there. So I think that tempers the kind of purely comedic part of it a little bit. Um, and I, again, I don't, as episodes, I don't think it's better or worse. I think they're when you're just watching these episodes, which is the way they're meant to be uh, seen, I think they work perfectly fine. It's only when you're trying to kind of uh, talk for an hour on a podcast that that becomes a little more difficult because it's there's not as much to say when you feel like you're not dealing with the characters that you really know. Um, but yeah, so I... Most I pretty much agree with you is the point of <laughs> what all I just said. Um, and I hadn't made the band candy connection, but that's true that like there's a similarity there too. Yeah, um, I mean, it's kind of, I, I would say it's sort of a hybrid between the two. Um, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. not quite like either one, but you know, has, has sort of, and I mean, I think that's just like those are both acknowledged. That's not even like me, you know, pointing that out. Like, Whedon says right in the commentary like like yeah we we wanted to like copy that stuff without like completely like wholesale doing the same exact thing um as either of well, them and, so and what's different about this again from from that episode is that was you know older authority figures parental figures reverting to the kind of crazy mm -hmm. wild days of their youth um, whereas like, these are characters that like, in the case of Cordy, she was this age when we met her, right? This is the Cordy that we knew. This isn't like some middle-aged character who we only know as middle-aged and got thrown back into her youth. This is the Cordy where we started. So in some ways that's kind of more interesting because we remember when Cordy was like this, like this is Cordy pre finding out about vampires and all of this supernatural stuff um which is actually a character that we spent time with mm. um so you can do more connections that way um sure so yeah. um but so yeah so before we kind of get into going through the characters one by one um i guess the other like meta or writing element um that i wanted to mention is just I guess the structure, it's not so much structure in the sense of it's not told non-linearly, um, but there's a kind of parallel 
structure going on where you have the story being narrated by Lauren. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have the story that he's telling. And at points, they kind of intersect and he kind of flashes back and forward and looks at you, yeah, you know, from inside the story, kind yeah. of commenting on it. Um, like those, can you believe this kind of moments? Um, <laughs> like, like little kind of Ferris Bueller asides to the camera type yeah. thing. Um, and so, you know, so you can see the weed in hand there of, yeah. okay, it's not just enough to do a fun episode, but you want to try to think of a way to do it that is unique yeah. and that maybe something we haven't tried before that gives it a special kind of flair. Yeah. Um, and, and I love the, like, coming back from the commercials, well, weren't, weren't those fine commercials? Like, which of course yeah. gives a, you know, there's a whole different aspect to that when you're watching it on DVD, when in fact there are no commercial, like, so right, even right. that, like, it works because you know what the intent is, but also doesn't work because it's like, well, right. we're not watching it on, you know, broadcast TV. So right, right. Um, even right. It's, it's of its time. Even yeah. that feels, I mean, it's, it's funny, but also kind of funny in a way that wasn't intended to be funny. <laughs> right. Um, right. It's, it's a little dated in a way. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, so that's funny. Um, no, I, yeah. I yeah. Mean, and I, you know, why don't we talk about that now? Um, what are your thoughts on the ending of the fact that it's an empty room that he's talking to? I mean, is that just a little poetic device there of like, I don't, I, is there, is there any sort of significance we can pull other than like, oh, you know, that's a kind of, I'm not sure what to make of it really. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's one of those things where it, works less the deeper you look into it to be right honest. like it seems profound until you kind of think about it and they're like but but what does it signify yeah. well yeah. and and with not only not only do you have like oh he's talking to an empty crowd at the end but it's like all along you've had like this chatter and even like sort of cat calls and clapping yeah. and stuff like that's just like like laugh track i guess so like like if you mm -hmm. if you want to get into like the diegetic aspect of it it's like is this like are we to assume that this is like what lauren is imagining in his mind mm. or or is there is it supposed to signify an audience that is the people watching the show but not the like not the diegetic audience that it doesn't exist anyway. Like, I just, yeah, I'm not sure that I completely understand. Like, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, like, we didn't had like two thoughts, like going into writing this episode. I liked Wesley when he was a bumbling idiot. And wouldn't it be cool if Lauren, like talks and like tells the story. And at the end, there's like nobody listening. And like, like maybe those are two like sort of like neat you know visuals to have or fun visuals or whatever you want to call it but like mm -hmm. yeah i don't i don't know that i get it either like i don't i don't even know like, right. like that we it, i don't even know that like yeah. at the end it's like i don't even know that like the next episode we come to it's like Lauren's coming back well i went to karaoke like you know like 
like who like he's telling the story but who's he telling it to well the odd like us like the people watching the show kind of but then also Mm -hmm. it's like it's the frame is this empty room so like like why is he narrating it this way it does it just it doesn't seem very it almost seems like yeah an idea that got a little bit in a way wasted on the episode of like yeah if you were gonna do a kind of um metafictional story in which lauren narrates narrates an episode and, and interacts with the audience it's a shame that they didn't go all in on that idea and let, let that be the concept for mm. an episode. Um, it's sort of like more, that's the kind of fun, playful rhetorical device of how we're going to structure the episode, but the episode that's really about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sure. And in the end, it's not really, I don't know that there is that much significance to the way that it's done or the, or the ending, um, you know, so, which is a shame because it's, it feels like there should be some more there, there. And, um, it, I don't know that there is, but anyway, um, not not a lot of there, there. And that's not to say that it's not fun. It's more just like, sure. oh, that's a more, that's a, there is a poetry to that ending of, oh, that's a striking image and a striking idea. I don't know that it means anything. And I kind of wish that they'd saved it for an episode where maybe they could have used it in a more intentional way. Um, But I don't, again, when you're just watching the episode, I don't think it hurts the episode that it's there to have Lauren break in and out of the story and narrate and do all these things. Like, I think it plays perfectly Mm -hmm. well. Um, Sure. When you're just sort of, you know, enjoying it. Yeah. And, Um, and yeah, like you said, it goes along with sort of the fun, funness of the episode. Um, Right. Right. Which largely, you know, and that's another connection with um, Tabula Rasa where in some ways it's like, the comedy and the fact that their memories are erased, they're not themselves, is a break from, like, the depressing darkness of these storylines. That, like, it's like Tabula Rasa becomes this, like, almost freeing, liberating thing until we get our memories back and then everybody quietly just, like, walks off on their own and goes their separate ways because they're burdened with the memory of what all happened in their relationships to each other and this is like a really similar kind of thing of Mm. yeah like wesley has been so kind of bummed out that the only way you're gonna get humor from him is to wipe his memory and like so for an instant you get a return of the old wesley because he isn't aware of what all he's been through um and maybe that gives the audience a break too of like, oh, like we can actually have like a fun comedy episode. But in order to do that, we have to kind of make it so that nobody really can remember what is going on in their lives. Yeah. Um, okay. Now that we've prefaced all that, um, I guess like just a couple words on like the setup. Uh, Lauren 
I mean, the basic premise of the episode is that Lauren has a bright idea of, um, he's back to doing his readings. He's recovered somewhat. He's meeting with clients again. And, um, you know, he has a, a foolproof plan, uh, that is guaranteed to work with no side effects whatsoever to get Cordy her memory back. So helpful as always. Um, yeah. Lauren kind of concocts this plan and they need six people. Is that right? Like they need a certain amount. So, which is why they kind of call on Wesley. Like there's a certain ritual that has to be. Yeah. Filled. Well, see, right. So like they have the symbol on the floor. So like, it seems like they're, but also like, I mean, maybe it's just like coincidence or whatever, but it's also like, all the people who like know her best right like at this mm. point so it's mm-hmm. i don't like i don't i think it's sort of like a combination of like the number and like who makes up that number um right otherwise they could have any old person right yeah. otherwise yeah like they could have just called someone they knew and like sat in instead of having wesley be there right like right. Right. especially given how contentious things have been between him and the rest of the group um right so yeah um and i i love lauren's line about um what are you perfect like the kind of you know like the, these plans that go awry yeah. um you know but why hey he's trying what are you gonna do um right and like seems like to be the only one trying yeah like right i mean wesley's doing his thing right still fred and gun are you know I guess just, I mean, they're just coming back from like the previous week or whatever, right? So like, because like, you know, there's another one where we pick up uh, right pretty much where we left off, right? So, you know, they're kind of dealing with all of the portal stuff and whatever else was going on, you know, previously. Um, mm-hmm. And like Angel and Cordy, like... I mean, Angel's just kind of, like, trying to convince her of, like, what they mean to each other and this and that. And and you get sort of the conversation there, uh, you know, between them. So, yeah, like, Lauren's kind of the only one sort of still actively, like, looking for uh, some kind of resolution to or, or uh, you know, clarification about, like, what happened and where Mm -hmm. Cordy went and why she's back and all of that. Which is a bit of a, a bit of a change from when he was like at his worst after being attacked of like, get out of here. I'm not, I'm not a champion. I don't want, you know, like not that he suddenly is the fighter, but, but he is getting back into being his old self of, being a little bit more willing to help being a little bit more proactive and everything. And I do feel like that's a recurring thing with him. Um, And not that we've seen a ton of times where he's sort of down and out, but like, you know, he rebuilt Caritas several times and then it was like, well, I'm not doing that anymore. So I'm going to move in with you guys and, Mm. you know, going to try something new. And then like, it was like, all right, well, I just, I can't be here anymore. So I'm moving to Las Vegas and I'm going to set up shop there. And so it's like, like, I feel like he's always sort of 
he, he seems to like sort of quickly move on to the next thing. Like he doesn't, mm. he might have a little bit of recovery time or, and, and not that like, you know, I mean the Las Vegas thing clearly like that didn't work out so great, but like, right. That wasn't like his fault. It was more, you know, he got in with the wrong crowd or whatever, you know, however you want to say it, but you know, it, it wasn't like he just ran away and like, pulled a Wesley and like, you know, from, mm. went for months, like sort of, uh, you know, let allowing himself to fall into, you know, deep depression and, uh, you know, kidnap women and hide them in her, you know, in his closet or whatever. So like, like, I feel like that's recurring with Lauren where it like, Yes, he might get fairly depressed and like down at times, but like he does seem to sort of bounce back quickly, mm -hmm. you know, when mm -hmm. that happens. Um, so, yeah, just, that's all to just sort of agree with you and, and say I feel like there's uh, at least starting to form a pattern. I don't, I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, if we have enough yet to actually call it a pattern, but like mm -hmm. it seems like there's, you know, we're we're approaching that sort of pattern if. Uh, right. If that's what we can call it. Right. I mean, in addition to getting beat on, which is becoming a little bit of a pattern too. Like, sure. At least lately, things like keep. Well, it's like, like that's his. That's his exasperation with this scenario. It's like, can we cut it out with this? Like, I've had enough lately, and maybe. Yeah. It's getting a bit much. It, it, it's like the you know, rain, you know, the spate of time in which Giles kept getting knocked out there for a while. Right. right? You know? No, it's, it's, it's approaching that level. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Of, of, he's kind of the punching bag of the group, um, in the last like couple episodes or season or whatever. Um, so yeah. So, you know, from the rules of stories and from his own kind of uh sarcastic asides that this is not going to go well but um but he has an idea and is confident about it so um so they get it set up um angel and cordy there's not too much of with them before the spell hits um it left off in the last episode with cordy asking if they were in love and angel doesn't really I mean he kind of answers his side of it the 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 he's kind of in a well if you are then I am kind of place it, it it but the the missing link is Cordy's feelings like that's not something that he can mm -hmm. tell her and without her memory it's not something she can yeah recall and so yeah so I'm touching on that because I feel like that is one of the like character things that's not like part of the spell <laughs> that we actually get in this mm -hmm. episode. So like, you know, jumping ahead even to the end where it's like, you know, she reveals like, yes, we were like, even that I feel like, okay, like it's nice that they both know that's the case, but it's like, we already knew like the audience already knew both of right. their sides of it. Like, right. Right. Again. So right. Again, even the things that we that are moving the plot forward aren't necessarily new right. for the audience. It's more for the, right. and for the character. And at this point it's moot because like, she's still running away. <laughs> like she's still leaving. Right. So like, even if that was true, then like you get the sense by the end of the episode that it's, it's no longer true. Um, right. Or right. 
or even or if it is true it's there's something preventing her from acting on it or you know whatever um right right one problem is solved but new new problems are created right. through that so the the recovery of the memory does confirm certain feelings that she had but now she has all this knowledge that creates entirely new problems um which she doesn't even tell them so we're still none the wiser as to what all is going on with her um Um, yeah, so, okay, and then Wesley, Fred, and Gunn, um, tension, tension, and more tension, um, which, uh, Lauren sums up well in his little, you know, I didn't know that what happened, Gunn didn't know that Wesley was involved, Wesley didn't know what Gunn did, Fred doesn't know that Gunn is figuring this out, so he kind of, like, goes over everybody's uh, levels of knowledge as as you like to yeah. put it there's a lot of um gaps in the levels of knowledge here sure um yeah so their tension which was already fairly high is even more so because they're now each of wesley and gunn are realizing that fred has gone to the other one with information that they don't have and it's getting you know very messy and almost almost getting to the point of it could go come to blows you know like gun gets up in wesley's face and wesley has his weapons hidden up his sleeves and everything so they're not quite uh fighting over her physically yet but um kind of like if Sam pulls the trigger, all hell breaks loose in the mutiny. It's sort of like if one of them, it's kind of like they, neither of them really wants to go there, but if one of them did, they'd both like dive in. Um, sure. Like all it would take would be one wrong move and this could get, this, this division could get pretty ugly between them. Yeah. Well, and, and so that, that line from Wesley, um, Right after that, right? So uh, uh, not all of us have muscles to fall back on, he says. And then Gunn's like, what happened to you, man? And it's like, I I love the matter-of-factness. Like, there's no, like, there's not even any real, like, blame or... Uh, right, like, like self-pity. Yeah, or... there's no, right, there's no, like, self-pity or anything behind it, but, like... Just the, the the flatness and matter of factness with which he says, I had my throat cut and all my friends abandoned me. Like, mm-hmm. just such a great line, such a great delivery of the line. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that that just really, like, puts it in into a stark perspective of, like, because even, like, before, like, okay, so, yes, there's, the tension and there's like, oh, the spring loaded, you know, spike or knife or whatever it is that comes out. And um even that's like sort of like playful between them. Like like mm-hmm. you get the same sense of like, 
you know, you, you alluded back to the BSG episode. So, you know, like even to the point of like, oh, they all have guns drawn, but like nobody except the loose cannon, you know, actually is going to fire. Right. Right. And so like even like it's more physical than just sort of the verbal sparring maybe that, you know, we're used to. But even that is like, like it, it there's tension there but it's still sort of like witty in a way you know what i mean like it's it's not witty is probably the wrong word to use but do you know what i'm trying to say like there's there's like a a, a repartee about it that isn't that like ends basically with that line like like i feel like even gun and saying like what happened to you man is still kind of like that like still kind of that not good natured, but like that, you know, sort of digging a little like trying to get under your skin kind of thing. And mm-hmm. Wesley, like, just kind of drops any pretense or uh, what, you know, could be considered sort of like uh, uh, good naturedness <laughs> about mm-hmm. it. Not even, I, again, like, I'm using these terms that like, are maybe mm-hmm. too strong for what actually is going on. But like when he just says that, you know, I had my throat cut and all my friends abandoned me. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's just completely like demolished. Like that. What can gun say to that? Like it's right, 100% right. true and completely explains why he's acting the way he's acting. Right. Um, right. And right. Which I think highlights the extent to which gun and I think the others still don't understand Wesley's position. Yeah. Even after everything that like, what happened to you? What do you mean? What happened? Like it, it this is what happened. He's telling you like the gun still, I think there's still this attitude of Wesley is not justified in his reaction. And maybe to extent he's not like, certainly he played a part in this split that happened. It's not a totally, one-way street but do they still not understand that this is what happened Mm. and like have they really thought about it from his perspective um yeah and actually the way you're describing it to connect it back to the bsg episode it's like it's like gene on the one hand saying like i'll put you down again like she's talking to like a rival ball player and you know the six on the other side is like ready to kill her because she's traumatized that's kind of the difference here as i hear you describing it is like not that gun isn't serious but like there is still a kind of uh, competitive and playful rivalry of like we're we're rival we're rivals in our affections for fred and our place in the group and what decisions we're making and all these things and it's this kind of uh sparring competition whereas for wesley that it's not fun like that element of fun competition is just not there he's not feeling it Mm. um and it's way more personal than that um and yet he keeps coming back you know like he says like you keep needing my help so i keep coming back and 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 even the fact that like 
Lauren apparently on the other end of the phone has this whole speech prepared of how they need his help. And before he's even done, Wesley's saying like, Lauren, stop, like I'm coming. Like, it's not even a question. Um, so there is this personal split of how he feels about them as friends, but continually he's able to distinguish that from the mission as he sees it of what doing what he thinks the right thing is. Yeah. And that's been the case, whether it's finding Angel, finding Cordy, fighting the bad guys and the, the, you know, whoever he needs to coming to Fred's assistance, helping here again with Cordy. Um, he keeps going out of his way to do those things, even though he feels completely cast off by all of them. So yeah, and I agree with you. Good line, good delivery. And it does kind of just like, if there was any fun comp competition in the scene, it just absolutely deflates that balloon of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, okay. So let's kind of go through the, the characters then. So once they do this, so, you know, funny haha the 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 spell is a bottle that spins and so it's reverting them back to their teenage selves which is sure yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of clever um and and they get kind of high and and pass out or lauren passes out um right there, and everybody sort of reverts there, there's very much a a sense of like a, a weird trippy sleepover to this right like sleepover party right. kind of thing mm -hmm. um going mm -hmm. on here uh right and yeah i don't i um, mean i don't know how how long we need to go through each one um yeah and i don't think we need to outline like what happens really because i think that's pretty straightforward but um but maybe we can just quickly touch on each of them um so cordy you kind of mentioned like it's she still is sharp and quippy as ever but it has the the meanness that has softened somewhat so i guess it highlights the way in which she has matured in her the way she talks to her friends and like that she is we'll still call them on their bs but not in that snobby cutting way that she used to mm. um you know, and the shallowness is somewhat uh, gone as well. Um, not that she doesn't care about uh, her her appearance and her reputation at all anymore, but that that used to be the kind of sole focus of her character. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, like, the line about let's be best friends so I'll lose all my cool ones, like... I don't know, I guess kind of pointing out the fact in which very often with these Whedon shows and other shows too, it kind of throws characters into these circumstances that wouldn't relate otherwise. And you're kind of alerted to the fact of, oh yeah, the only thing they have in common is 
this situation. Like these aren't people that would have been friends back in high school. Sure. Um, it's more the circumstances of how they meet and the adventures that they get into that create, they realize they have yeah. a bond between themselves. But if you throw them back to when they're 15, Cordy is the, the mean girl and Fred is the dweeby geek who would never have been invited into her circle. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, right. So you get like, I mean, she doesn't name names, but you're thinking of like when Corey mentions her friends, it's Harmony and, and Aphrodisiac, right? Like the, Aphrodisiac. <laughs> those are like, like the first uh, people that we associate with her, right? Um, right, right. Uh, the Cordettes. Um, right, right. But yeah. And Fred, right. So kind Fred's of, kind of a stoner too, which is funny. Yeah, it is kind of funny because it's like, She's kind of willowish, right? Like, because she has that, mm -hmm. you know, nerdy side to her. But yeah, she is kind of like that, like the conspiracy theorist stoner, like, <laughs> aspects to her as well, which I, I like because, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it gives her a little and, and very sort of Texan, I think, both of those right. things in a way, right? Like, like very much distrusting of the government and... Mm -hmm. All of that, but also kind of like free ranging, like mm -hmm. you know, willing to maybe partake in in a few natural herbs. Uh, right, right, right. But yeah, anyway. Um, and kind of similar to as she uses the accent somewhat, but like it, 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 again, there's that meta element of like, yeah, what happened to Fred's accent? I didn't realize until this episode that it it faded. Um. Yeah. It used to be much, it used to be very pronounced, even when we like first met the character and everything, and she's kind of phased it out. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it rekindles here. Yeah, a bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. A bit. Not as thick as like in Pylea, but, um, but yeah. just enough to remind you of like, oh, yeah, didn't she used to have a, a Texan accent at some point. Sure. Um, well, you know, that's what LA does to you. Sure. Um, that's what years on a TV show will do for you. <laughs> like, do I really have to keep doing this? Right. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I mean, okay. Cordy, Fred, I don't know. Like, so we're going to go through this pretty quick. I think that's fine. Um, yeah. I don't Wesley I mean Wesley we talked about like he's the the point of this episode in a way is is the the fun of seeing him revert to that and that is a great moment when that that first straightening of the spine and adjusting of his jacket yeah. that happens that just kind of when some of the art characters have already changed so you know where this is going and you just get that, ah, yes, there it is kind of thing of, like, mm -hmm. uh, Wesley Wyndham Price is, is back and back to his his prissy old self, but even more so because this is his, like, academy days, his schoolboy days. Um, so he's still, like, the fact that he's head boy at his Watchers Academy and everything, it's like... Wesley, but even more so. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that's funny. And some of his misunderstandings with Gunn are pretty funny, too, of, like, 
I like Gunn's line about he, he his crew, and Wesley like says something about, about his boating. like yeah. his like nautical yeah. adventures or something. Yeah, um, <laughs> like just like those little those little details that are slipped in there that can just buzz by you on the first watch. It's not until you kind of are watching again and really paying attention that you catch all the little like jokes and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the fact that he knows about the the vampire test, like there's this right. reference back to Buffy's birthday, yeah. um, like bringing in his knowledge of Watcher weird, weird ass Watcher traditions and everything that he kind of pieces those things together. It's kind of interesting. Yep. Yeah, but also the, you know the pretentiousness like you know claiming that he knows what type of demon lauren is and having everything wrong you know about it right and and keeps getting interrupted by everybody yeah um all of his big slow reveals that he tries to make somebody like steps on his lines and um yeah and it is fun after like a while now of having wesley being in a very brooding dark glum place um sure. it is kind of fun just to like ah oh, let the air out a little bit and you know mm-hmm. kind of let him be kind of silly for a bit um gun gun in some ways is the least changed i mean certainly his, his he knows a lot more now and so his attitude is broadened um but i mean he's tough he's defensive yeah i he's he's a little more immature but otherwise um in some ways the least changed i think from his his teenage roots um other than his experience having been broadened a bit um yeah i would say for me the thing that i i took most from his change is um just sort of like an intensifying like it's not that like he has different emotions or different thoughts or anything it's just a little more intense you know you know you get the like fear of the police and and the you know yeah like wanting to step up to people and kind of you know, talking about his crew and how he's the leader and that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, I feel like when we first met Gunn, whatever age that they're supposed to be, you know, reverting to, like, he wasn't much older than that. So it's kind of similar to Cordy in a way where it's like, maybe, maybe he was a year or two older than what he is now. But like, there wasn't that much difference than mm-hmm. when we first met him running his street crew with his sister you know like Mm -hmm. so right right so i agree there like i don't i don't know that there's a ton of change right right like and and fred asks like are you always this grouchy and it's kind of like yeah Yeah. (laughs) i mean maybe he's a bit more grouchy than usual but not like like you said it's kind of a matter of scale rather than a difference of actual personality right um so um which i guess makes you wonder like yeah like what has changed about gun kind of not a lot like in and just in the run of the show that we've seen him like 
I mean, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, his relationship with Fred has helped him temper a little. And like you said, like maybe he has a little more broad experience because he's come to work with Angel and team, but. Again, I guess maybe he's less concerned about being the leader. Um, he's that's less of a of a problem for him to um, accept. Right. Whether it's Wesley or Angel, accept somebody else as the the guy in charge. It's all about the mission, um, bro. Exactly. Right. So there's there's that change of attitude. Um, although it's not like that doesn't bother him because. In the, be- in the beginning of the episode, he's kind of worried about his place in the group. Like, Sure. You know, he kind of concludes everybody else has everything covered on the muscle. And the, the idea seems to be that that's not really the greatest thing to be. Um, that that's, in, in a way, that's the least of things. Yeah. Like, just the, the guy who is the fighter or who is the enforcer, who does the dirty work. Um, but these other, those who lead and those who have brains or have heart or whatever are kind of better positions to be in. So he might be a little frustrated about the fact that he hasn't advanced or changed to one of those other things. Sure. Although it's not like that's a new revelation. Like, sure. it's not like he's ever been anything other than the muscle. Right, right. In, in, as part of angel investigations anyway, like. Right. 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 But I think it's, he's sensitive about it because he's killed a guy now. It's not just vampires and demons. It's like, well, he killed somebody for Fred. Um, Sure. So I think suddenly being the muscle, like takes on a kind of new, like, I don't know. Yeah, I think there's like a, that. Like, a, there's a darker aspect to it. I think there's that, but I also feel like there's almost a little bit of um, insecurity about his relationship with Fred, too. That maybe sure. if she sees him as only the muscle, she'll be more inclined to want someone who's more intellectual or whatever, like mm-hmm. Wesley is. I mean, that seems to be yeah. the yeah. comparison that he's making. Right. Right, reinforced by realizing that she went to Wesley for help. Mm-hmm. Um, before she went to him, she went to Wesley. So, yeah. Um, okay, and then uh, Angel. Um, yeah, so it's, it's Liam without the Irish accent. Um, <laughs> worried about... Uh, the, devils and hell and all the things his his dad told him that he should fear um i guess i mean to me the most interesting part of the liam stuff is how he reacts once he realizes he's the vampire um and there's that initial kind of like scaredy like oh they're gonna kill me like they kind of like nothing threatening about it just like purely terrified and not he's not sure what to do. Um, I don't know, but I guess one of the more interesting parts is that, like, okay, yeah, they are trying to kill him, so he is kind of, this is self-defense, but the way he tries to play the part of the vampire and kind of tries to revel in it a little bit of, like, if I'm going to be the monster, well, then 
he he doesn't do it very well, but he tries to be the monster. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like it. There's a hint of Angelus in there of like I'm gonna if I'm gonna be the vampire, I'm gonna enjoy myself. Um, and maybe it's all an act and you know whatever. But I mean, I think we've talked enough about that. That like there is some of the person in the vampire anyway. Um, it doesn't just completely erase your personality. There's some aspect of the human person in there. So you can see a little glimmer of Angelus in the way Liam kind of like gets into his vampire role yeah. there. Yep. Um, and then, so Connor comes in. um Although, yeah, so you, I think the personality differences are interesting here with Angel, right? So speaking with of Connor, like, yeah. you get, like, Liam isn't interested in fighting. But then also, like, you know, the comments about his dad, like, being a drag yes. and, like, all of that. Right. Um, which Connor is, like, like there's something in common. kind yeah. of eager to hear, but also doesn't want to, like put up with it at the same time mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean that i think those are kind of interesting but again like that's only because he's interacting with someone who's not under the spell right like mm. so you get that sort of contrast and um doesn't really change anything like connor still wants to beat the crap out of him and angel still sure whips him um so Right. You know, for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and Connor motivated by uh Cordy's promises, you know, of like mm. if you do this, you'll get rewarded and stuff. So um keeping alive that that plot thread of his kind of infatuation with her and um and misunderstanding, but at least feeling led on by her, whether she clearly she doesn't intend it because she's not in control of herself here. Um, but from his point of view, like sure, she keeps doing things that tell him like, oh, she's interested. You know? Well, and complicated by the fact that he's already been frustrated once tonight. <laughs> like, you know, sure, um, right, which. Right. You know, yeah, there's, I mean, he's sort of getting rejected, but then also sort of, you know, encouraged, I guess, um, in some respects. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, like, maybe he's reading more into it than he should be, but, you know, that seems to be there seems to be an ebb and flow there, I guess, you know, sort of encouraged on the one hand and then, you know, dismissed on the Mm -hmm. other. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And in both cases, expecting reward for... Right. You know, for something. You know, like for being... um, the hero um he expects uh womanly compensation for that yes Um, 
but I'll point out that like in those cases, like that's offered. Like it's not it's not like he No, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. It's not like he does it and then expects it without you know, just sort of on his own. Like right. in, in in the first case, you know, he saves a woman in the alley and he's like ready to walk away and she's like, Well, don't you mm-hmm. want your reward? And then when he's like, mm-hmm. Well, okay, she's like, Do you have any money? Like you have the money. And right, it's like, right. Well, I can understand why that would be irritating. Like you're right. Well, and that was my point. That was kind of the point I was trying to make with Cordy was like, yeah, you know, now she's, it's not really her under control. Right, so you right. can't blame her for that, but she is, he is being, or at least um, not like present her. Right. Like it, right, he, he right. thinks of it as this is the Cordy I know when right. in reality it's, you know, 17 year old teenage Cordy, which right. is a different person. I mean, we're all different people than we were at 17. Like that's, if you're not, then, right. you know, there's a lot of things going wrong there's maybe in your life. Something but, wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely not the Cordy that like. Right. Right. He knows. Right. Which I don't think this episode is trying to make some grand point about like getting everybody to suddenly love Connor or anything, no, no. but like, in a way that I, I, I do think there is an aspect of, like, let's remember, and you've made points about how he's different from Dawn. I'm not saying that they're the same and people should accept them equally. But there is, like, that sense, too, of, like, all right, let's put everyone back in their 15-year-old selves and see how they're idiots and see how they would do things then that they wouldn't do now. And mm-hmm. they've grown and come a long way and everything. Um I mean, Lauren starts the episode with like, okay, it starts with a kid and then it flashes to Connor and he's like, oh, but they're not that kid. But like still, it mentions Connor. Mm -hmm. Like if you're going to talk about being young and stupid, like Connor actually is this age now. Um, And so how much, if we're willing to forgive their young stupidity, how much of that generosity might we extend to Connor? Well, um, you know, not that that, not that that excuses stupid things that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think it is kind of making a point about that of like, yeah, who wants to be held responsible for what they did and said when they were 16, and, you know? And if we're, if we're going to sort of commiserate with Wesley in his matter of fact, you know, I got my throat cut and was abandoned by my friends. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like people have always treated Connor with the utmost respect. Now, you know, yeah. maybe he hasn't returned the favor either, but like, right. you know, there is an aspect there too of, of, yeah. Why, you know, how did you get this way? Well, you know, because nobody took me seriously and, you know, I was thrown out of my house. Now, were there valid reasons for that? Raised like, in a, and I was raised in a hell dimension sure. with a and like, I, psychopathic father. And I was you know? kidnapped by, yeah, you know, a 200-year-old guy who, you know, yeah, raised me to kill my true father. So, like... Right, right. right. Like, there's... He has some excuses for being not totally yeah. uh, in a, the best headspace. A mitigating yeah. circumstance or two. Like... Right. <laughs> you know, um, 
And again, like, and that, and so, like, I want to be careful because I don't want to walk the line of like, you know, going back to, to, you know, his expectations with women and stuff. Like, I don't want to say that like, oh, it's all the women's fault either. There is a suggestion by them that maybe he would get rewarded, but when he's not like, that doesn't mean to say it's not like oh well you made into binding contract with me and now I get to do whatever I want with you like that's still not true either like like there's mm-hmm. there's still an aspect where like <laughs> you don't get to just do what you want because someone made a promise and then broke it or made a suggestion mm-hmm. not even a promise and then didn't follow through like that's just not how human relationships should work um there's still right. an aspect right. of you need to be a decent human being and you know, act, you know, with respect and, and whatever. Right. Um, no. And I think the more revealing part is the fact that he goes along with that. So like he buys that so easily of like, like when both of them kind of dangle that carrot immediately. Yes. This is what, it, what I deserve. Absolutely. Like sure. that's the part of it that seems like a bit over eager, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's not like he's, coming up with these ideas purely on his own. Like other people are also using that as incentive to get him to, to do what they want. Um, so y- there is a two way, a two way aspect to that. Yeah. Definitely. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's kind of wrap up with, um, the resolution. Uh, I mean, Lauren talks Fred into trusting him, you know, Fred's smart. So she's able to kind of listen to reason and put this together eventually. Um, I mean, long story short, they get their memories back and Cordy gets a little, she gets her full memory back. So like all of it, she says, so presumably all her experience as a higher power too. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, and a vision alongside the first one we've had since she came back, it seems. Um, yeah. Or, or at least an image of, or a memory, who knows? Right. And Something I, I of this, this like, red demonic face. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. definitely the question is like, is this a vision of like, like her old visions of like, this is something happening now right. somewhere else in the city? Or is this like you said, a memory? Is this something she saw when she was a higher power? And and what right. does it have? Like, she certainly seems scared by it. And the, there's a need to run away and not tell folk, like, the rest of the team what's going on, even though she remembers who they are now and presumably remembers how much she trusts and loves them and cares for them. Like, I, you know, we keep coming back to this. Always a great idea to split up, you know, the, run away the, from the people the you trust. Yeah, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, like clearly, clearly, some. So, like, you know, I don't want to give anything away, but is this a clue as to why she came back, or mm-hmm. when she came back, was the missing memory a? defense mechanism of some sort like is there a reason for why she shouldn't be remembering this image of this demonic face or whatever you know um Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, like I like I mean, there's a bunch of different possibilities there, and and like I said, I don't want to sort of hone in on anything, but like I feel like there's yeah, there's a couple different ways you could maybe take that. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but yeah, she runs away, and I mean, other than a little chit chat about oh, did you really love me? Yes, I did. Okay, bye. Um, <laughs> like there's not, we don't really get much there. Um, except for the implication and again like i don't know to bring it back around to like the format slash structure of the thing like you get like oh you know this is what we thought happened and then this is what really happened we learned later and it's like okay but how much later like i don't know like i don't know that we ever revisit that like aspect Mm -hmm. of it (laughs) later like this is the mm. moment I was talking about when I learned that thing that I told you three episodes ago or, you know, whatever, mm. something like, like, I don't, I think again, like it's one of those things where it's like kind of thought through like, Oh, this is a neat structure to play with for the story. Let's do this. And then I don't know that it's ever sort of revisited in that manner. Um, sure. Sure. Um, I mean, we will find out more about her vision and stuff for sure. But um, right, right. as far as that goes, like, like yeah. the way it's sort of presented with through as a part of Lauren's story, you know, like right. oh, here's the thing we thought. Oh, let's go back and look at what right, which play by play. It confused me at first. I have to admit because I was expecting it to be a more extensive reveal than that. Like it's really just that one extra thing of yeah. what she sees. Um, I was like the way he was like, "This is what we thought happened." I kind of for a second thought like the whole knowledge of what we think happened in the episode was about to be revised oh. and it was like oh no it was just that one little literally lie. just the reason that she ran away yes that's um because yeah. the way he said the sequence of events i thought oh there's going to be some non-linear timey-wimey thing going on here um that's not no. that's not the case um yeah which is fine uh it was just my own misunderstanding but sure uh but yeah, so just her her little additional bit of knowledge there. Um, yeah, well, I think we uh, went fairly long on that for an episode that we said we didn't have to say about. <laughs> sure. Um, so, hey, maybe it was better than we were giving it credit for. Yeah, well, um, and like I said, I don't dislike the episode at all. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, I just, I think the bulk of it you know the the characters um interacting in their younger age is just sort of more fun oh yeah. look at how they've changed sort of stuff like we talked about um yeah but yeah i mean i there are some pieces obviously so you know hey good for us good on us for talking about it a normal length mm-hmm. of time or even a little longer <laughs> um although we went along with bsg episode two so you know we did we did anyway on that note uh, really good Buffy episode coming up. So um, get get ready for that, and uh, I'm excited. We'll, we'll be back with that and some more uh, BSG next week. Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>